if you um, if you're a, a visitor with us or if you are a member who is like me and sometimes forgets this you can get that right over there on the table um, in fact if you know if you don't have one of these and you you need one if you just pop your hand up we can try to get somebody to bring one to you or you can walk over and grab one either way just um, I've forgotten mine on a couple of occasions which is a bit awkward whenever you're up here preaching so I did the walk and pray last week I don't know if you noticed that so. Psalm 46 says come beho- come Behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Psalm 46.10 Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Let's pray together to this God in whom we find refuge that brings peace. Oh, gracious Father, we pray this morning as we come for your church. We humbly beseech you for your church, that you would be pleased to fill it with all truth and all peace. We pray that where you find corruption, that you purify it. Where you find error, that you direct it. Where in anything it is amiss, that you reform it. Where it is right, that you establish it. Where it is in want, that you provide for it. Where it is divided, that you reunited. We pray that you do that for the sake of him who died and rose again and ever lives to make intercession for us, your church, Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Oh God, we also pray, um, Lord, for the nations. You have made of one blood all the nations of men to dwell on the face of the whole earth, and you sent your Son to preach peace to those who are far off and to those who are near. We plead with you that you would grant that all men everywhere may seek after you and find you. Pour out your spirit upon all flesh. Bring the nations into your fold and hasten the coming of your kingdom. We pray that through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. We pray for the authorities. You are a merciful Father in heaven, and you have ordained the power of those who govern both for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do well. So we pray that you would grant wisdom to your servants, whether they be local or state or federal. We pray that you would grant wisdom that they would govern in true righteousness and justice. Lord, we pray for those who are in need this morning. You are the God of mercies. We pray that you would make us true servants of our city, of our brothers and sisters here, imitators of you as we show mercy to the needy in our midst. 
Comfort with the grace of your Holy Spirit those who suffer sorrow, sickness, or adversity. Have mercy upon those to whom death draws near this morning. Bring consolation to those who are in sorrow or mourning. Remember those, Father, who suffer persecution for the faith. And we ask by the power of your Holy Spirit that you give us wisdom and faith that we need to be your vessels in all of these works. We pray all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen. Well, please turn to Ruth chapter 4, and if you'll stand, we will read God's Word together. Ruth chapter 4. This is verses 13 to 23. Ruth chapter 4, beginning at verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went in to her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of, a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age, for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Amenadab. Amenadab fathered Nashan. Nashan fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, again, we thank you for this word. We do ask this morning that you would bless the preaching of your word wherever, it, wherever, wherever the event is happening this morning. Father, in particular, we pray for Morris as he preaches to the congregation, First Baptist, Caddo Mills. Lord, would you be with him, granting him wisdom as he proclaims your word to that people. Lord, we pray for him and others and hear, Lord, that you would put us to death by this word, that you would raise us up by this word. And Lord, again, we ask that standing firmly on what you said, your promise that you would not allow your word to return void that you accomplish by your Spirit all that you intend in this word. Again, Father, would you convict us? Would you comfort us? Would you strengthen us? Lord, would you equip us by this word this morning? We ask all these things 
In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. So the, the, through the course of this, the way that this goes, it's hard. It's hard for, you know, for this to be a surprise. Because so, we've already read the passage. Right? So, spoiler alert, right? Who's talking to Grace this morning? Spoiler alert, Ruth lives. Right? We've been making a case in chapter 4 for this idea of great reversals. Things get reversed. Things get turned upside down. Things like death get turned into life. In particular, what we saw last week, sort of as this story reached its sort of climactic moment, and actually what we're going to discover today is it hasn't actually reached its climactic moment. We get there today. What we saw last week, the great reversal, had to do with both Boaz and Ruth. And the big surprise there is what you see in what happened at that point in the story was the healing and transformation of two very dark pasts. What we might be able to say is that up to last, last week, up to that point in the story, what we were getting at, what we were seeing, is the way that God's redemptive work had taken care of the past and was being exhibited right there in the present. It's almost like with Ruth and Boaz, the emphasis was on the past and their presence. Well, what we get to see this week is the reversal for Naomi. In Naomi, we see that it's this future blessing. God's redemptive work heals and transforms the past, is put on display doing that in their present, and now pushes way out into the future in what we see with Naomi. We're going to see this chorus of folks Singing a blessing, or see, seeing, yeah, singing a blessing over Naomi. And it's a blessing, it's a chorus that you and I can join in. These people, as a result of what they see happening in Naomi, they're praising God. We can praise God too. Because the blessing that she receives, Naomi extends to us. We could just as easily be those people at the gates going, blessed be the name of the Lord because of what he's done for her. And you can break this up in two, two parts. What has he done for her? What do we praise him for? First is he gives a son. Look at 13. Verse 13, it says, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. He went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. All right, so first, 
the Lord gave a son to Ruth and Boaz. Now we could have, this could have been stated last week. And it almost seems like it would go with last week. You think about it this way. Right, this is part of the reversal for Ruth. Remember, they, she had been married for 10 years and had no children by Milan, her husband. Remember, he died. It doesn't say that she was barren. One writer says it infers as much about her, which, interestingly enough, goes with this sort of repeated cycle in the history of redemption. As we see it unfold in Scripture, barrenness gets reversed. Here God gave her pregnancy, and this is wholly God's doing. In fact, I don't know if, if you've noticed this. If you ever read Ruth in one sitting, and until I sort of was looking at this again, it didn't dawn on me. Do you realize that the Lord hasn't been mentioned since chapter 1 in Ruth? I mean, clearly, the Lord has been all over Ruth. But the Lord has not been mentioned explicitly until now. Last time the Lord explicitly was mentioned, he was visiting his people and giving them bread, right? A harvest. Here, he gives a child. So now what we kind of see is there's this great parallel that's been going on in this book all along. And it may be worth your time to go back and just reread the whole thing in light of this. There's a great parallel that takes place here. This book that from the outset has been about getting bread, grain, seed. This is a story that moves from famine to the Lord returning to his people to bring them bread has been following this interesting trajectory about grain and seed. Right? With Ruth and Naomi, the first chapter, they return. That gets connected to harvest. And then Ruth, what is she doing in chapter 2? She's gleaning. They're gleaning. And then what happens in chapter 3 with Boaz? where Ruth obtains this overabundance of blessing. He's threshing. You get it? This whole grain harvest theme, agriculture, it's been pushing this story along. So that at this climactic point, when it's clear that these folks have gathered the fullness of seed and grain, literally... Another seed is given, another harvest is given, not this time from a field, but from a womb. Fruit is born. It's the seed of the offspring that's given to Ruth. So it's almost like, and not really almost like, but it is like, that the story, story of the seed coming from the ground at the same time is the story of how God provided the seed from the ground for his people, anticipating how he would provide the seed 
from the womb. For Ruth, one who was not his people, but has become that. That's where the whole story of Ruth has been driving up to this point. So that line, this whole line, this whole verse about God giving a son to Ruth and Boaz could have gone with last week. But it fits better with what comes next. Because here's the capstone. Here's where we really see that this great reversal that has happened for Ruth is not just hers. It's Naomi's. Look at verse 16 and 17. 16 says, Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, A son has been born to Naomi. A son has been born to Naomi. The Lord gave Ruth a son. Well, actually it says literally. The Lord gave Ruth conception and she bore a son. Explicitly it says the Lord gave Naomi. Or excuse me, a son has been born to Naomi. She has a son. Now, obviously, this is Ruth's son, right? Naomi's the nurse, the grandmother. But nonetheless, he is her son. Which means, and this is where the punchline is, she's the primary benefactor of the birth of this son. She is the primary benefactor of the birth of this son. Why is that? Why emphasize this idea that a son has been born to Naomi? What does it mean? Well, the meaning is sandwiched between verse 13 and the ones we just read, 16 and 17. And here's where we see as the second point, that the Lord gives a redeemer. Here's why this is Naomi's son. Listen to what the women say. Verse 14, Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life, a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is, worth, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Here's the significance of this son. Here's where we start to see it. The same Lord that gave a son to Ruth, at the same time, gave a redeemer to Naomi. Here again, we see explicitly what has been implied in Ruth up to this point. Yahweh has been at work for Naomi through Ruth and Boaz. 
she's been given a redeemer. And that's interesting, right? Because up to this point in the story, who has been the redeemer? Boaz. You get that. Did y'all catch that? These women are not talking about Boaz. When these women say, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you without a redeemer, they are referring to this son, Obed. Do you see that? That's the big surprise here. Obed is Naomi's redeemer. This redeemer does a couple of things. Nourisher of her old age. What does that mean? I mean, just to put it simply, he's going to take care of grandma. He's going to take care of her. He'll ensure that she has provision. We were talking about all of this stuff that she was hanging on this kinsman redeemer, Boaz, doing something about their situation, right? And we see that Obed is the one that actually brings it to fruition. He's the one that actually means that she's got protection. And then the second thing, the restorer of life, which really undergirds this whole nourishing thing. Like if he, did, if he wasn't the restorer of life, then he couldn't be a nourisher. Here's why Obed is a nourisher, or excuse me, a restorer of life. Boaz, so just follow me with this. Boaz certainly gets the land back for Naomi and her family. That is what his job was as the kinsman redeemer. He gets the land back for her. He secures, excuse me, um, he gets the land back for her. But it's Boaz, I mean, but it's Obed, her son, that's actually going to inherit it. Obed, Obed is the one that will inherit it. He actually secures for the family the land and brings true ownership back. Or we could say it this way. Boaz keeps the land in holding, but Obed actually possesses it. Now, we'll make some connections a little bit later on. But this is why Obed is called the Redeemer. This is what it means for him to restore Naomi to life. She once again has a hope and a future. She has a land and a family name because she has Obed. So there it is. The story of Ruth tied up in a nice little bow. Isn't that neat? Everything. But there's more, right? It's funny. We could have ended the book there, and, you know, we would all just, oh, that was incredible. Again, this would make a great Hallmark movie. We have one more paragraph. 
that really puts the exclamation point on this story. They named him Obed, which means uh, servant, or ser- it means serving. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Ram, Ram fathered Aminadab, Aminadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. Notice how that last line sort of sandwiches this whole thing. Obed was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And it ends with Obed fathered Jesse, Jesse fathered David. Obed fathered Jesse, Jesse fathered David. David. David tending the sheep, David. David killing the giant Goliath, David. David, the anointed one, David. David, man after God's own heart, David. David, king of Israel. That, David, that's the guy. This story is saying that Ruth and Boaz, people with two dark pasts, an Israelite and a Moabite, they gave rise to that guy, David. What is this genealogy doing at the end of this book? What does it show us? How does it expand our our understanding of these characters? How does it hit us? Well, just sort of a short answer is this is great. This is great. Um, um, uh, uh, this is a great political infomercial. I mean, this would have been solidifying where David came from, right? God is in the middle of this. And now he's king. This, this is why David is king and not anybody else, right? That's the kind of infomercial it was. But it also tells us something about, or at least expands our understanding of these people. In the midst of their lives, think about this. Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz, they only knew what was going on in their lives in that moment. They only knew what was right in front of them. In fact, remember, we saw this in chapter 1, Naomi couldn't even see that Yahweh was still with her through this daughter-in-law, Ruth. 
Only as life unfolded could she see that God had been working the whole time. How much more could we say that of all these characters? All of them. Could Boaz have imagined that he would be the great-grandfather of the king of Israel? Is that what he was thinking? No. Could Ruth have ever imagined that she would be the one through whom the monarchy would come? Probably not. Could the people of, at the gates there who were praising God, could they have known that they were speaking prophetically about the one who would shepherd God's people? Could Naomi have understood that her, that this son, right, would not only bring life and rest to her, this grandson, but that a future son would be born that would bring life and rest to all of God's people? What this little, what this little uh, genealogy shows us is that the birth of Obed has a ripple effect that moves out and changes history. Let me give you a, a short recap of that history. The first ripple, King David himself. right? King David, he's the warrior. That's the way he's portrayed. In 2 Samuel 22, and it's a long chapter. Go back and read it. But he's righteous. God's trained him for war. right? He's given him the shield of his salvation. And he's placed David's enemies under his feet. right? David's feet have ground his enemies finer than dust. And he's crushed them and stamped them down. Right? That's, that's how David is portrayed, a warrior. But he's also portrayed as, portrayed as a shepherd. In 2 Samuel 5, 2, it says, And the Lord said to you, You shall be a shepherd, excuse me, you shall be shepherd of my people, Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. He's a king shepherd. He's described in this way. He's described as the sun and the rain to the people of God. You know what that means? That means that he provides what these people need to grow and flourish as God's people. David's a good shepherd. He guards, he feeds, he nurtures, he protects. King David rules for the benefit of the people he shepherds. And then in 2 Samuel 7, it tells us this. Now when the king lived in his house, the Lord had given him rest from all the surrounding enemies. All of David's enemies were defeated. His kingship was firmly established. He ruled over God's people. So you have this glorious king, this glorious rule through this human king, but it's an image of the glorious rule of Yahweh the king. And then it extends even further out into the future. 2 Samuel 7, in verse 11, 
It says of David that he will give Israel rest. Verse 12 says that he'll raise David's offspring and establish his kingdom. In 12 and following it says this, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up for you offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom. Verse 14, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And your house And your kingdom shall be made secure forever. Your throne shall be established forever. God promises David that his throne would last forever. God promises David that he, God, would have a son on the throne forever. All of this would come from Naomi's Grandson, Obed. This son that would be given to her would give rise to another son who would be king and another son who would be king after him whom God would say, this is my son. Who is that? Well, Solomon. He's the next ripple. He's like his father. But we could add this about Solomon. You know, David's this warrior and he's a king. And he's a shepherd. Giving rest to his people. Provision. Protection. Solomon's like him. Solomon is wise. 1 Kings 3, he asks God for wisdom. He gives it to him to rule. And this makes him a blessing. 1 Kings 4 says he was a blessing to his people. Judah and Israel were as many as the sand by the sea. They ate and drank and were happy because of Solomon. In chapter 5, verse 4, 1 Kings, it says, but now this is Solomon, I mean, this is Solomon, but now the Lord my God has given me rest on 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 every side. God gives rest through David. God gives rest to David. And God gives rest to Solomon. But here we see an even bigger expansion. Solomon was a blessing to the nations. In 434 of 1 Kings, it says, And the people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon from all the kings of the earth who had heard his wisdom. Oh, excuse me, and from all the kings of the earth who had heard his wisdom. And at the height of all of this, of course, you know the story. You've heard this. A foreign queen, Queen Sheba, comes. And she says this, Blessed be the Lord your God, who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel, because the Lord loved Israel forever. He has made you king, that you may execute justice and righteousness. So God's son rules, brings blessing and rest, protection, provision, 
not just to Israel, but all the nations. Are you hearing the themes? This is what God was giving to Naomi. It came to Naomi through Obed. And through Obed, this is what came to the world. But like all good Hallmark stories, there's a wrinkle. These ripples eventually kind of fade out. David died. Solomon, he didn't remain faithful to God. The son, Solomon, didn't remain faithful to his father, God. The kingdom was torn from his hand. The people suffer death, which is to say they went into exile. The king is gone, and the blessings appear to have been lost. Well, it looks like we're right back out there in the fields of Moab where Naomi and Ruth started. But the prophets still hold out hope. Right? In Jeremiah 23, they say, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and she, he shall reign as king and deal wisely and execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. And then we wait. We wait again. And then out of nowhere, here's where we get in Matthew chapter 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the Son of of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah, remember him, that guy, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. And Perez the father of Hezron. Does this sound familiar? Hezron, the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab, the father of Nishan, and Nishan, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon. It goes on to list a number of kings and their sons leading to exile. And then we pick up again in verse 12. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Sheotil. And Sheotil the father of Zerubbabel. And Zerubbabel the father of, of Abiud. And Abiud the father of 
Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Akim, and Akim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eliezer, and Eliezer the father of Mathan, and Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. In this long lineage, from Judah to Tamar, to Boaz and Ruth, to Obed, to Jesse, to David, and right down the line, we see this bit of history that began out in the fields of Moab. In the midst of darkness and death, with two widows and no kids. We see it in the little town of Bethlehem, the house of bread. All of that was to lead here to Jesus Christ, the greater son of David. Jesus Christ, the great king. We could back up and say it like this, another big picture here. It's a snapshot of Ruth. We get a snapshot there of the whole of redemptive history. Adam like Elimelech, loses the land. Out. David, like Boaz, secures the land, keeps it in holding. Jesus, like Obed, comes along. He's the true son, the true heir, only he doesn't just inherit the land, he inherits the world, the cosmos, everything. He is the one who by his life, his death, his resurrection and ascension as king. He is the one that brings true rest to you, his people. Obed was Naomi's near redeemer. This is who she was really looking for. He gives greater rest than Obed. He gives greater rest than David. He gives greater rest than Solomon. He's the one who nourishes his people. He feeds us, not with grain from the field. He feeds us and sates us with his own body and blood. He is our true restorer to life, not by life in Canaan, but life in the kingdom. The chorus of elders, the people at the gate, the chorus of the women around Naomi, they all look with great anticipation toward the birth and the life of a son born to Boaz and Ruth. A son born to Naomi. But as we've pushed ahead and you and I look back with greater clarity than they could have ever had, clarity that those Judaites couldn't have attained. We see a true son in whom our true hope is found. You and I join that chorus praising God, blessing God who has not forgotten to give a redeemer to Naomi. We join them 
placing our confidence in this true son, ultimate one. Our confidence for our righteousness before God, our confidence in him for the forgiveness that brings peace before our Father, our confidence in him for life. Our hope, our confidence, our trust for all things is placed in this Son, this true Son, and Him alone. Let's pray together. Father, again, we thank You for Your work of redemption. We thank You for the way that You weave this through history, and You show us this, this amazing, these amazing works of our God. Father, I pray that you would help us to see the great wisdom that's put on display here in your plan and your purpose. Help us to see the beauty of your Son, that he is greater than all others. Help us to grasp the restoration to life that he gives, that he nourishes our souls. And Lord, help us evoke in us by your spirit. Praise for what you have done through him. We thank you. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, if you're able... Please uh, go ahead and open your your cup there. Mark 14 says, And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to them, and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Take and eat. Take and drink. Pray again with me. Father, again, we thank you for how you nourish us through your son. We thank you that as we drink and as we eat, we have this confirmation from you that all that your son has won for us is indeed ours. We pray that you would strengthen us. Strengthen us by these things. 
strengthen our faith, strengthen our hope, strengthen our love for you and one another and your world. It's in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, and we pray these things. Amen. Let's stand together and sing.